Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give, you, give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Have your way tonight in us. May we leave different, changed, more in love with you, more resolved to make good choices where you've sent us. Amen. Great. Well, it's a treat to be with you here tonight. I was last here about seven years ago, so it's nice to be back. A few familiar faces, but a whole load of unfamiliar faces. So with that in mind, I'm just going to show a few pictures to set the scene. I'm not going to be talking about Burundi in the main this evening, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, well, it'll just, it'll just set the scene and then, and then you'll, you'll get where I'm coming from. It's been a very intense time for me, as Tom alluded to there. It's, uh, I, I went out there when it's the most dangerous country in the world in 1998, had a very dramatic call, and then had about seven years of war, and then peace came. We've had 10 years of peace, and then the last three months, four months, it's just hit the fan, and it's been incredibly depressing. Uh, and to observe very close at hand the implosion of a state. So I have wept more tears in the last four months than I have probably since I was a baby. And uh, my colleagues right now are going through a hell of a time, and it's, it's extraordinary to think of them starving right now. You know, people that I work with, I've been around the country with, uh, food prices have trebled. My guys are on a pretty good wage at 120 quid a month but they haven't been paid maybe for three or four months. Food prices have trebled, there's no social security system. We did a food, food distribution last week and um, the people hadn't eaten in days and they said if you hadn't come we would have died. So you can imagine it's very close to home. Where are those pictures gone? Um, are they coming up? Yeah, so that, all right, that's where, um, that's the capital I live in, Bujumbura. speak a language called Kurundi, so it's not sure if anyone speaks Kirindi here. And then the next few, if you just roll through these next few, they're just um, what's been going on for the last... Yeah, so these are all pictures taken very recently. As soon as the president declared his intention to run for a third term, people, a lot of people wanted regime change, and uh, they poured out of the streets, and so it's been our routine experience to be listening to gunfire and grenades, and yeah, the economy is just absolutely imploded. These are women who are doing a, a peaceful demonstration in town. They got tear gas and water cannoned. Yeah, so it's been pretty grim. Uh, in terms of next couple now, uh, I've written a few books. Uh, there are very few left at the back, flogged most of them this morning, but if you want to grab that, basically, my, my, my logic is that how far it's too far 
in our pursuit of Jesus when he went that far for us? And did Jesus go that far for us on the cross for all of us just to be nice people in Guildford or wherever we come from this evening? He didn't, did he? He died for all of us to lay hold and be laid hold of this message and incarnate what he's called us to be and live radically and passionately surrendered to him. So there's 13 films, there's 13 chapters if you want to grab that afterwards. Next one. That's the story of the last uh, 10, 15 years, so absolutely extraordinary, uh, the stuff we've seen. I mean, it is a dark place, but it's in the darkest places that light shines brightest, and we've seen phenomenal stuff. And then the next one, this is, a, if you want a daily shot in the arm, two minutes of your day for the next year, a radi- you know, 365 readings for radical disciples, then, then grab that afterwards. It, it can't be rubbish, because it's just been nominated Devotion of the Year, it's on its fifth print run, so it's obviously, you know, well, hopefully worth getting, and uh, we'll encourage you in your journey. So that, that's the plug on, on the literature at the back, if you want to grab those afterwards. Next one. So I went out as a single man, honestly expected to die before the age of 30. It was, uh, my mum sent me out a chart when I went out there, the most dangerous country in the world, and we were at the top, so thanks mum, not sure she's trying to encourage us. But uh, all that to say, you know, every, I'll be talking more about that, every, every day life is a gift, and uh, I never thought I'd get married, never thought I'd have kids, it's been wonderful to experience both of those things, and, and I've had three kids now, and that's enough, thank you very much. And I just want to tell you, um, so my daughter is named after this girl. And I've never got bored of telling her story. It's such a beautiful story, because this girl started her life down a toilet. She was thrown away and found uh, as this dis- discarded piece of flesh down a university toilet in Bujumbura. And uh, so- someone was about to go to the loo, and they-, they fished her out, this discarded piece of flesh, and somehow it or she was still alive. And they cleaned her off the filth, and they fed her through a straw like a little bird. And, and now, well, there's me holding her. Next one, that's her. And she's a fabulous, uh, wonderful young lady. And, uh, but what I love about it is that, is that my, my friend who took her in, who rescued her, gave her the name which is the embodiment of, the, of her life and the gospel because her name's Grace. And uh, I don't know about you, but I hope that's your story. That's my story. And it doesn't matter whether we're multi-murdering, rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people in Surrey. We all need God's grace, don't we? And you know, you can't get, religion is like trying to get your way out, and that's what lots of people think they kind of can if they're good enough and they reach out, but it's a vast chasm that separates us from God, unless he becomes flesh, Jesus, the incarnation, God with flesh on, and he comes down, he bridges that gap, and he picks each one of us up, and he cleans us off, and he says, you're beautiful, you're made in my image, I love you, now come on, live. That's grace, and that's going to be the underpinning of this message. I want us to feel nuked and challenged this evening, but in a good way. And uh, what I love about how the Lord wove grace's life with ours is that uh, I I said to Lizzie, before we had children, I said, if the Lord gives us a daughter, we're going to name her after this girl, Grace. And then next one, she ends up being our babysitter 18 years later. And uh, she's actually not our babysitter now because she's studying, she's got, we helped her get a scholarship to America, she's studying journalism, she's going to write her own story and that story has been told far and wide and that's the beauty of God. You know, he, he, dare to dream, hey? From whatever start in life, we can dream and he can lay hold of us and do whatever he wants if we're willing to lay it all down. I guess that's the deal. Next one. Uh, this is one of my many sadnesses of walking off in Burundi is that uh, the first two weeks of August every year for the last eight years, so this would have been our ninth year of doing this, sending out hundreds and last year into the thousands. Last year we sent out 1,010 evangelists into the bush in, uh, in um, 35 different teams and they think, think 1,010 times 14 days times eight hours a day. That's a lot of intentional outreach, isn't it? Well, in those, 11, in, in those uh, two weeks, they led 11,000 people to Jesus. And, uh, that, you know, you read the Acts of the Apostles. What do you read about in the Acts? You read about them getting beaten up. Oh, God, some of our guys got beaten up. About being in prison. Some of us got, got in prison. But you also read about them casting out demons and healing the sick and seeing incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised. And so, you know, I've got loads of stories. I'll just share two with you. One, one lady, our team came along, and she went, F off. You know, we don't want your Jesus. And, uh, you know, sometimes our mates will do that, won't they? And if they do, we respect, we respect them. You can't force people to, to want to follow God. So our guys are sort of easy tiger, beating a hasty retreat. And then, and then she said, no, no, come back. Come back. If you, if you, if you want to, I'll listen to you. You can tell me about Jesus. But, but first of all, you've got to heal this demon-possessed girl. So what she was essentially saying is, don't just talk a good game. Show us the power. So they gather around this girl. And some of us here, we don't even believe in demons. Well, that'll, that'll be our own sort of spiritual worldview that precludes us from understanding that. But, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever, and Satan hasn't been around forever, but he has been around a long time, and Jesus cast out demons, and 
You might think that's just mental, mental sickness, but the story would seem to suggest otherwise, because they gathered around this, 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 this girl, and the whole, the whole village were, were, were there to watch it, to see you know, the fireworks or not, and uh, they prayed over her in Jesus' name, all these different guttural men's utterances, demons were, were identified and cast out in Jesus' name, and on the spot, the antagonistic lady, a few minutes before, was saying, F off, was, was now you know, 20 of them falling to their knees and giving their lives to Jesus. That's the power of the name of Jesus. In one instance, this witch doctor welcomed those guys in. He thought he's going to make some money out of them, so he started doing his jujus and stuff. And then uh, after a few minutes, um, they spoke the name of Jesus. Boom, he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few minutes later, and he said, look, could you come back in a few days? And so they came back a few days later. He'd assembled the whole village. Next one. Uh, that's just them talking about Jesus. Next one. Uh, he, and, and, you know, this is the witch doctor who rules that culture and community by fear. So if you mess around with the witch doctor, bzz, he'll curse you and you might be, you know, barren or your two-year-old will die. So, you know, you don't mess with the witch doctor. And, and uh, so at the, at the preaching of the gospel, him burning his chance publicly, submitting to the higher power, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. So that's the sort of stuff that's gone on. And, and as I share those, I'm thinking, well, that's a bit different from guilt for Christianity, isn't it? But it is the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. And now as we turn to his word, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want you to feel this evening, you know, for the last several months, I have listened to, to gun battles. And, you know, 20 minutes, and you're listening. It's quite surreal to be listening to people dying. And you're guesstimating, you know, how many people will be dying through this attack? And sometimes I'll be thinking, well, maybe 100 are dying, you know, just a few hundred yards away. But then in the morning, I get the tweet or the report somehow, and one person died. So that's like a whole load of thousands of bullets that were fired that did not hit their target. And this evening, I want to, I want to let off a volley of gunfire at you, uh, 10 bullets actually, but they're not going to kill you, but they are, they are life-giving bullets, if you like. And I, my prayer is not that you can't handle all 10, you know, you'll be completely nuked and destroyed, but my prayer has been and is for every single one of us here this evening that one, or probably at the most two, bullets will get right through all our defenses and that will leave changed. That's what I'm shooting for. And uh, if, we don't, if we don't leave change, we don't move, grow on in our journey, if it's just about, you know, that was a good sermon or whatever, then we're wasting our time. No, it's got to lead to life change. So these are maybe painful at one level, but they're life-giving. Amen. Now, before we look into that, basically, wherever I go, I say, and I'm not after, money, I'm not after your money, I'm not after you, I'm not on a recruiting drive for Burundi, but uh, I would love your prayers. So Tom's just going to stick out on each side of the aisle now. Just, just, if you don't want to sign up for email, don't bother. Pass it on. About six times a year, I send out some of these crazy stories. So pass it on if you don't want to. Sign up if you do, nice and clearly, and it'll go back, and uh, I'll get in touch with you the next couple of days. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Choose life. That's what we're looking at. Choose life. Now, I want you to imagine yourself, because Moses was talking on behalf of God to the people of Israel, and you know, what had the Israelites been through? We remember the story, don't we, from the Old Testament. They were for 430 years in slavery, and it was horrific and grim, and they're crying out to God, and eventually, this extraordinary deliverance, 10 plagues, the 10th the plague of which was you know, the, the Passover, when the, the blood of the lamb put on the top and the sides of the door actually meant that the judgment of God went over, echoes of the blood of the lamb Jesus, from, even from the Old Testament, you know, that, that was God's plan. And, and then they, 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 they left, and they, you know, Pharaoh said, get the heck out of here, and so they left and they went into the desert and they were protected by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and then they came to the Red Sea and it was parted and they went through and the others all drowned and then you know, manna and provision and they had loads of incredible stories and miracles going down but still they complained and they moaned and they were distrustful and they were cynical and sometimes I read the Old Testament and I think, oh, you know, what's their problem? But then I think, no, that, that's me. That's who each one of us. We can be so fickle. God does stuff in our life, and we're so quick to forget it. We're so quick to be discouraged. And so that's, although Moses is addressing the people of God in that time, in that context, this evening, we're going to get 10 bullets, a similar challenges that we face that they faced. Okay, the first one is, is clarity or trust. Clarity or trust. Now, I think 
we're all wired to desire clarity. We want to have our lives under control. We want to have all our ducks in a row. But if we insist on living that way with Jesus, we're going to end up insisting on clarity and not living by faith. We might have a faith, but we're not going to live by faith. We're going to live by sight. Now, this is challenging. It says in verse 11, now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. But that would imply that it's not too difficult, but it's still quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply that it's still quite a stretch. So this is challenging. It's not straightforward. And I think we've got to embrace this very intentionally. There was a brilliant ethicist called John Kavanagh, and he went to Mother Teresa's House of the Dying in Calcutta, and he went there because he really wanted to seek the Lord and gain clarity for the next chapter of his life. And so he arrives there, and on day one, as often was the case with Mother Teresa, with newbies, she came alongside him and she said, can I pray for you? And he was so excited, you bring it on, you know, I've traveled thousands of miles for this to get the great Mother Teresa to pray for me. Yes, yeah, yeah, you can pray for me. You can pray that God gives me clarity for the future. And her indignant response stunned him. She said, no way, I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you are holding onto and you need to let go of. He's like, what? I mean, you look like you've got clarity. She said, I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. And so I will pray for you that you trust God. Now that slightly messes with our head, doesn't it? Because I think we do, we just want to have it all together. But then, as I said just now, we end up not living by faith, but living by sight. Clarity or trust. Trust and obey. So let's go with that one. Obedience or disobedience. Look down at verse 16 and following. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Now it's clear with God, or, and for us who are able to call him Abba, Daddy, Father, it makes sense, doesn't it? If, we, if you do what a loving Heavenly Father wants you to do, things are going to go well. And you, if you go against what he wants, him knowing what's best for you, it's going to go badly. And the disciples constantly, you know, sort of move to disobedience. The whole cycle in the Bible, it's, it's Bible it, in the Old Testament, isn't it? It's, it's disobedience, which led to consequences and then repentance and restoration and then disobedience again. They were repeatedly disobedient. Now, in the scriptures, there's a very clear correlation between love and obedience. So three times alone in John chapter 15, John chapter 14, verse 15, for example, he says, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Verse 21 says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my father, listen to this, and I too will love him and show myself to him. You want God to show himself to you? Are you wrestling with feeling distant and a lack of intimacy in your faith journey? Well, that verse is make it clear, obey. Dorothy Karen said that obedience is the key that unlocks the door to every profound spiritual experience. What does obedience look, for, look like for you this evening, wherever, wherever you come from, I'm sorry? Is he calling on us to um, release our right to bitterness? and unforgiveness? Is he calling us to reprioritize our finances? Is he saying we really need to start hanging out with someone or stop hanging out with someone who's a negative influence? Is he, is he calling us, you know, what's it look like for you? Because uh, uh, the theologian Tozer said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find out that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that in any way. I, I definitely can. I remember being at university and, you know, some of us at that, that life stage. I can remember clearly loving Jesus passionately, but ending up shacking up with a girl that didn't end up my wife, doing stuff I deeply regret, and, and it ended up being very damaging, very painful, with long-term consequences. And I just hardened my heart. I did not want to hear. I lived in disobedience. got taken out for quite a while. You know, I'm so fed up of seeing marriage breakdowns. 
Even Christian marriage breakdowns. And yes, there's always grace. So if you screwed up and you're divorced, there's, there's total grace. But, you know, if you are sleeping around with someone who's not your husband or your wife, you know, God's not a killjoy. He wants what's best for us. And he's calling to us to be a pure bride and to not pick up a whole load of baggage that we end up having to deal with later, which causes so many problems. That's some of us here this evening. Is there a situation that, that is coming up or that has recently been the case where we've either turned down or compromised or we're about to compromise who we stand for and uh, you know, not live up to the integrity that we, we profess? Well, remember Peter before the Sanhedrin, he declared we must obey God rather than man. Clarity or trust? <laughs> Obedience or disobedience? Next one. Cynicism or action? The Israelites were so cynical. They were so quick to be negative and see the situation as bleak and, and they're distrustful. And, you know, we, we are a cynical bunch. This nation is riddled with cynicism. We're, cynicism. we're cynical about church. We're cynical about politics. We're cynical about marriage. We're cynical about authority structures in general. The cynicism oozes out of many of our pores. Now, you might have thought, well, cynicism or action, maybe I thought cynicism or... Um, what could it be? Positivity. I've chosen action because the antidote to cynicism is not optimism or anything else. It is action. It's action that's born out of hope. You know, cynics believe that the world can't be changed, and, and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So listen to Jim Wallace. He writes this. Ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. If things are not really going to change, why try so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, things don't have to change for you to remain secure. That's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. Cynics are finally free just to look after themselves. And perhaps the only two groups of people who see the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else seems to be living in some kind of denial about what is really going on and how things really are. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. Hope is not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for hope is based on what you believe at the deepest levels. You choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with your eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics choose not to hope. that resonate with any of us? Have we become cynical through things going wrong and just yeah, people making false promises and we just, just don't believe anymore? Well, it ties in with the next one. Pity or compassion. I was in Brazil a number, number of years ago and we went out to work with the Street Kids Project and we were trying to minister to street kids and, you know, there's seven million these street kids in Brazil and they were treated as vermin. They often, they were murder squads by the police and we went to the Sao Paulo's main square in, in the middle of the day and, uh, you know, street kids are not cute little things. They've been sexually abused and beaten up from, from very early age and they're tough and hardened and they make their living, they survive by stealing. And this little kid came up to our big six foot four strapping leader and he's cursing and spitting he said you may be big you may be strong but there's only one of you and then we were showered by glass bottles and we had to leg it and got police protection it was the scariest incident in my life and that evening we we we, we met in the safety of our compound to to process and talk through that experience and and I just wept. I wept because of the, the overwhelming statistics and that experience of just one of so many of them. And uh, I, was, I was absolutely gutted. And the team leader came alongside me and he shot me a bullet that's changed my life. He said this, pity cries, I was crying, pity cries and then goes away. But compassion stays. You know, pity has a visceral, um, emotional response, for example, when we see these grim images of Somalia or Ethiopia or Chad, Niger, Sudan on TV, and it's, it's so grim, but then we just turn over and watch Match of the Day or, or EastEnders, because I can get my head around that. Pity cries and then goes away, but compassion stays. 
And I choose to stay, and I hope you choose to stay. And that staying, it doesn't have to be geographical. You know, for some of us, we are meant to be here. Others, we're meant to be elsewhere. But it's, a, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a way of viewing things that I am not going to play it safe. I'm not going to stay in the comfort of the suburbs and retreat and, into the safety of my, my own nuclear family setup or anything. No, you know, we are called to get out there and engage. And there are sexually trafficked girls within three miles being had sex to 20 times a day right now. And, and that's an issue worth fighting and getting angry about. Or or domestic abuse, or, or you know, people wrestling with addictions that we can get alongside, or single mums that need to have. There's all sorts of things that we could get angry and get our hands dirty with right now. Because loads of people in Surrey you know, are so okay, darling, on one level, but they're not really, are they? Get scratched beneath the veneer of I'm okay. There's, but it's a facade. There's so much grimness, isn't there? They're lacking meaning and purpose and and a sense of direction, and we can bring that to them, but it means getting our hands dirty. It means moving beyond our comfort zones. So please choose to stay. And that is definitely costly. Next one, urgency or apathy. Now, on occasion, they had spurts of urgency, the Israelites, as they had Pharaoh's crack troops up their backsides chasing them. But largely, in the main, they quickly beyond the crises of urgency, sort of fell back into a state of languid apathy. And if we charted us this evening, if the end of the scale here was radical urgency for Jesus on a mission, and this end was total apathy complacency, I wonder where you put yourself. I suspect that most of us, we'd be more on that end than the radical urgency end. And let me tell you why I suspect that. You see, I don't have the choice. I haven't had the choice. I've been living in the most dangerous country in the world. And if you hear bombs go off, it really sharpens your perspective. And if you think you're going to die next week, as particularly in the early days from 1998, 99, 2002, uh, that, that season, I totally thought I was going to die. And so I couldn't possibly waste my time on a PlayStation all day or sat in front of the TV because there's too much... To do. Life is too precious. It's too urgent. I mean, in the extreme, this is, illustrates urgency. I, I was preaching on the Congolese border on one occasion. You know, some things that Jesus shared are complicated, and others, are, they're not rocket science at all. And Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, that's not a complicated one. Do you remember that story, Matthew 25? There were 10 girls that had been invited along that had a key role to play at this wedding banquet, and they, the bridal party were late in coming, so they fell asleep. And then when they arrived, wake up, trim your lamps, and, and five had enough oil, five didn't have enough oil. So these that weren't prepared, they weren't prepared, so they said, hey, lob us some oil. They said, naff off, go buy your own. So they had to run off and get their own. Meantime, the wedding party came, they went in, boom, the door was shut, celebration inside. The late comers, the girls that hadn't been equipped and prepared, they came along, knocked on the door, and they heard these horrific words. Ndabagirukuri. Simbazi, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And that is not complicated. I had three points. I think Jesus is, is saying three things, essentially, in that, in that parable. He's saying, I'm coming back. So my points were, Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? That was on the Sunday. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? And a whole bunch of people responded, but a whole other bunch of people did not respond. Whatever the case, two days later, I'm on my motorbike driving towards that village, and I come to a roadblock, the military, and they say, you can't go further on because those people are getting killed up ahead. And it struck me as never before, the sheer raw urgency of what we have. Because Jesus, they couldn't have believed on the Sundays as listening to me that two days later they're going to be dead. That's urgency, isn't it? And none of us know how long we've got. But you're only going to live with a sense of urgency in Surrey if you've got eyes to see the bombs that are falling all the time. I've just driven up from Bournemouth. I've only been in Surrey for an hour and a half. But I, could, I can see the bombs falling on this place. Comfort. Apathy. Relativism. Materialism. You need to have eyes to see, otherwise you'll be taken out. Otherwise you will not be able to live ready. This is what um, Smith Wigglesworth says. He, he says, live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. Be filled with the Spirit. That is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked that every thread in the fabric of your life will, ha will have received the requisite rule 
of the Spirit. And then, when you're misused and squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the nature of Christ. Gratitude or grumpiness? You know, the Israelites, they were champion moaners, complainers, weren't they? I mean, they're starving, and God provides manna. No one else, has, I think, in the history of the world has had manna en masse. And they're like, they're like give us something different. You know, just moaning. They just managed to complain about anything. It was, it was their default mode, you know. And they were judged and punished for that. But you know what? You know, I'm speaking as an Englishman. This nation, our national pastime is moaning. We're so good at moaning. We're amongst the most blessed people in the history of the universe. And, and, and yet we find it so easy to complain. The biggest... Gr- so my last point was urgency. That, that is one of the biggest gifts that Burundi has given me. But the biggest gift Burundi has given me has been the gift of gratitude. You see, I thought I'd be dead by now, so I'm alive, so I'm grateful to be alive. I don't think many of you wake up in the morning and say, God, it's great to be alive, because you didn't expect to be dead. And grateful people are happy people. I often preach on Romans chapter 12 when it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, get on the altar, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, the Greek word is actually plural for mercy, it's mercies. In view of God's mercies, in view of God's grace gifts, surrender. That's what that verse is saying. And so I want to recommend this to you as 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 a discipline in your lives to help you move from grumpiness and complaining to gratitude and living a lifestyle of gratitude. This is what I do when I'm tempted to self-pity or complain. I go through the grace gifts of God in my life. So I've just had a nice takeaway, and uh, my stomach's full, and the only time my stomach is not full is when I choose intentionally to fast. I think of a guy down the road from me who's found in a rubbish dump who'd been eating mud for a year, and they had to cut the stones out of his gums. I'm guessing everyone here can read and write. We are all educated. I think of a girl, a 15-year-old girl in one of our youth camps. She stood up and she confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid for her school fees. And you ladies here, precious sisters, you're like, I wouldn't have done that. You all would have done that. Because otherwise, you'd still be illiterate in first grade. You know, there's no room to judge. And we've got freedom in this nation to say Jesus is Lord, whereas you've got 250 million Christians in the world under 40 different oppressive regimes where to say Jesus is Lord, to stick your neck out, means getting kicked out of your family, put in prison, torture, death. Are we using that freedom? I had a mate of mine working in China. He came back and he said to me, Simon, I'm really ashamed. I've been back four days, and every single day in China, I do something in my area that should get me arrested, i.e. share Christ. And I've been back four days and I haven't done anything arrestable. And what he's saying is that where it's illegal, he has a sense of urgency, and coming back here, he's not using it, where, the, where it's free. And we've got clothes and loads of clothes and nice clothes, and some of us, this is a bit in parenthesis, some of us, we actually spend an extra 20 quid to get a design label because we fall for the sucker lies of the advertising industry that make us believe that we actually got more value if we're wearing that designer label. I mean, uh, you know, that, you, know, you are precious because God picked you out the toilet. Let's wake up to the lies that the enemy's feeding us. Think of a girl down the road to me. She arrived that often. She'd never taken the clothes off her back. I could go on. Just one more. The National Health Service. My pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms because he didn't have three quid. Another time, three quid for the medicine across the counter. Three quid. You can go into the pharmacy, touch the medicine, but you haven't got it, go home and die. I've had that disease umpteen times. I've got three quid. I'm still alive. And how we moan about the National Health Service. Listen, the next time you moan about the National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and smacking you in the face. <laughs> you know, what an unbelievable gift. Blows my mind. And so will it be gratitude or will it be grumpiness? Last few. Faith or fear. 
Again, the Israelites, they were so fear-filled. You know, God had shown that he was with them, and a number of examples, but let me just take the time when, when the crack troops, one from each tribe, was sent into the Promised Land to spy it out, and the Anakites, and ten came back bricking themselves, and it was only Caleb and Joshua that said, no, we can do this, and the others were like, no. They, the whole assembly wanted to stone the two brave men who believed and stood on the promises of God, and the others were like, no, you know, they were like giants, and we were like grasshoppers. Fear, fear, fear. And yet so many of us, we are shackled by fear as well. We're shackled by the tyranny of public opinion, by what people think of us. We're scared of the future. We're scared that God hasn't got big enough hands to to look look out for us, that he can't take care of our kids or our spouse or or whatever. Think think of the last major decision you made, you know, significant decision you made. You got it? Now, just unpack that. Peel off the layers and get to the root motivation. What caused you to make that decision? Was it out of a place, a paradigm of faith or of fear? And I suspect many of us, it was a place of fear. We did this to cover our bases so that that didn't happen. And God is saying you can be free. He has got big hands. He's got massive hands. And they're big enough to carry you and carry me. You know, I'm preaching so much this to myself. Clarity, you know, I'm a rich refugee right now. I don't know how, when we're going to be able to get back as a family. Loads of imponderables. Faith or fear, there's such a temptation to live in fear. You know, as my kids listen, listen to shelling going on, stuff like that. He says, it's going to be okay. I've got big hands, trust me. Last few. The way of comfort or the way of the cross. Are we going to choose the way of comfort or the way of the cross? Again, the Israelites, they just loved their comfort. As soon as things were uncomfortable, complaint, distrust, blah, blah, blah. And we live in a, com- in a society that completely idolizes comfort, don't we? It's all about making things easier, quicker, more efficient, less difficult. And you can't do that with faith. You've got to embrace the tough times. That's why so, so, so much of our faith experience can end up being shallow and anemic, because, because we avoid any problems. We resort to comfort rather than to Christ when things get rocky. You know, so if you want to picture me in church a few weeks ago in, in Bujumbura, and, uh, you know, tears, and our church has gone from 150 to 30 because of people fleeing the country as refugees, people being too scared to leave their houses to come on Sunday morning. And I'm looking around, and I can see my colleagues, people I love. And um, this guy's just lost his job. He's got six kids. And they're not going to eat this week, and he can't see how he's going to eat at all. They'd be amongst the starving ones. And this family here, they've got three kids who are clinging a bit closer than they ever were before. That's because they're traumatized. And he's like, as father of the house, he's like, do we just go to the hell of a refugee camp or do we stay in our bombed out house and listening to bombs with the trauma that kids are going through? I mean, that's a tough call, isn't it? And then my other friend, Ephraim, his three-year-old daughter now wets herself every time she hears gunfire and she's wetting herself 10 times a day. And yet, you know, there's so much dignity and there's such depth. When I wrote a blog on this, let me just quote. There is a noble defiance in worshipping God in the midst of grim circumstances. That is where the curse of comfort comes in. I don't want to criticize Western Christianity, but as products of our consumer cultures, we invariably end up conforming rather than being transformed, acting as thermometers which reflect the reality of the environment rather than thermostats which set the very temperature and alter the whole environment. Thus, we often unwittingly craft ourselves a more comfortable consumer cross, and our whole worship experience can end up feeling shallow and anemic. It's so easy to turn to comfort, be it Facebook, chocolate, TV, sex, whatever, to turn to comfort rather than to Christ. It's no wonder my most intimate corporate spiritual experiences in the West have been with the most obviously broken people, tramps, alcoholics, prisoners, who don't feel the need to maintain the facade that their lives are all in order. And God doesn't love us sophisticated people more than them or them more than us 
but what they have over us is discomfort. They've been stripped of the mixed blessing or curse of comfort. And in their brokenness, stench, and unpolished desperation, God is extremely close. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're going through a hell of a time this evening, I want you to know that God is extremely close. And sadly, like me, most of us, most of you here, you know, we've got thick numbskulls, and it's so hard to get through, and it, you know, it often takes a crisis to bring us to our knees. But no matter what frame of mind or state of spirituality you are right now this evening, know that God is extremely close. And he wants to be in relationship. And he wants to be involved in every part of your life. But if you're clinging to comfort at all costs, then you're not going to go very deep. And you're not going to have an experiential reality of him, which is what we are made for and which we should crave. Relationship or rules. Relationship or rules. The Israelites just were, you know, so... It was all about rules. They, they, they didn't get the fact how much God loved them, that he was trustworthy, he wanted to be in relationship with them. And, you know, this evening there'll be some people, and certainly throughout Christendom there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people, that completely do not understand what the scriptures are about in terms of God was always, is always about relationship and not rules. Yes, there are rules, but we're not slave to rules. It's not the rules that get us into the kingdom or get us right with God. You know, some people think, oh, well, in the Old Testament it was, it was law, in the New Testament it was grace. It was always grace. Back in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, God says to his people, don't think I chose you because you're any better than the others. No. It was always grace. God loves us, each and every one of us, and he wants a relationship with us. There's a lady who was in a horrible marriage, and his, her, her husband every day would, would draft a long exacting list of house chores that she had to accomplish before he returned from the office in the evening. And if she hadn't done it, she, he would beat her up. And every night of their marriage, he beat her up because she was never able to accomplish everything on the list. Horrible man. And praise God, he died. So she was released. And in due time, she actually met a lovely man. And that man never laid a hand of her inappropriately and he loved her, and he nurtured her, and helped her flourish, and, and just thrive. And a few months into their marriage, she was cleaning away. It was towards the end of the day, and uh, he was about to return to the office. And, 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 and lo and behold, behind the sofa, she pulls out a piece of paper, and it's one of the old lists from her deceased, nasty husband. And she reads it, and she starts checking off the list. And would you believe it? She had done everything on that list. What she had never been able to accomplish under the pressure of guilt and the threat and fear that, that in all, in, all that marriage entailed, now with a new husband completely released in a relationship of total love and grace, she'd been able to do. Now some of us, this evening, you're stuck with the first husband. And he's saying, be free. There's a love story, lovely story at the end of the book, uh, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And it's a story of a guy called Steve who's got a daughter, Robin. She's a late teenager, and it's in the States, and she has got to do this course as part of her degree, got to do this module, and it's an English lit literature mod module. And for poor Robin, it's eating her up. She, she, it's, it's consuming her. She doesn't think she's got what it takes, and she's desperate to get out of this course. And in fact, Steve, as the loving father, he's seeing it eat up his daughter, and he's desperate to see her off the course as well because it's, it's just, you know, it's so painful for a father to see his, his child suffering like that. And so they go together to the, the lovely Jewish um, professor woman and they go in and she's teaching and she can see that Robin's on the edge of tears so she dismisses the class and then Steve says, right, ma'am, I'm here to get my daughter out of the class. Look, it's just ruining her life. Surely she can get some other modules, you can do other credits to get the degree. And the very wise teacher said, just let me, can I just talk to Robin? She takes Robin to one side. She said, Robin, do you think you could do this course if I gave you an A before you even started? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Robin, go. You've already got an A. 
And Robin leaves. She says to the father, you know, I've just taken away the fear. Taken away the pressure. And that girl, Robin, she went on and got a star on her own merit. Now, brothers and sisters, that is how God deals with us. Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, Christians already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, and condemnation has been removed. We're in forever. Nothing you do will make your grade any better. Nothing you do will make your grade any worse. In his life, by his death, through his resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the everything, the A that we come into this world longing for, yet are incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the rescue, the the, the meaning, the cleansing, the significance, the affection we crave and long for, they're already ours in Christ. You don't need to add anything to it. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian. The unrestrained, unqualified, unconditional grace of God in the completed work of Christ. The banner under which Christian reads lives. It is finished. So relax and rejoice. You're free. Amen. Amen. So choose life. That's verse 15 and verse 19. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. That's verse 15. Verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I set for you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Choose life. I guess this one underpins all the others. And this is the sort of sermon I think that you need to maybe re-listen to in midweek on the, on, on, on the web uh, to, 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 to go through. But essentially, this underpins all the others. Are we going to choose life or choose death? In an African village, there was a fire one night, and uh, the whole family died. Apart from at the last minute, someone reached in and grabbed this little infant boy, baby boy. And in the morning, amongst the charred ruins of that house, the whole village gathered, and there was a buzz of excitement and anticipation because there must be, if the ancestors have saved this little baby boy, there must be something special about him. So people start laying claims to that boy, that orphan boy. And the neighbor says, well, the father had a debt towards me, unpaid, so I'll take the boy as payment of that debt. And the witch doctor goes, no way. This boy's got special spiritual powers, and I'm the one who can nurture him. And the chief says, no, 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 I'm the chief, so he's mine. And the richest man in the village says, I've got the most money, so let me. I can give him the best education. And then this relative nobody steps forward and says, no, the baby is mine. And they're like, who are you? What's your claim? And then he opened out his hands. And they were blistered, charred hands. And the baby's mine because I saved him. And Jesus' hands weren't blistered or charred, but they were pierced. And he chose death so that we might choose life. Will we choose it? Will you choose it? I don't want anyone here to get to the end of their life and be sat there in a recliner with a shriveled soul and think, I just missed it. I played it safe. And I'm going to do it in Burundi or wherever, depending on when I can get back with the wall. And you do it here or wherever he's calling you. But it will be costly. Don't shortchange yourself or those around you of anything less than laying your life down. And we're going to move into a time of response now, but I want you to have two questions for this evening to wrestle with and afterwards. And, you know, if you came with someone, and we'll see how the response time goes, but the two questions are this. Which bullet hit you? If you're going to turn someone next to you, it be, which bullet struck you this evening? Which one or two? Or maybe it's more, but which one's really struck you? And the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Which bullet and what are you going to do about it? And then share that with them and be held to account because then we will live differently and we will change the world. Don't be cynical. We can change the world. I've seen a few hundred thousand people come to Jesus in the last 16 years. 
And some of us have died doing it, and some of us are still in the game. But those who have died, they're, with, they're in glory now. It was worth it. And for very few of us, we're going to pay that ultimate price, but we will all pay a significant cost if we're going to be authentic, because we cannot craft ourselves a more comfortable cross. Why don't you stand? You've been sat a long time, so why don't you have a quick stretch? But don't check out. This is a really crucial time. I see that the pieces of paper haven't got that far, so those pieces of paper will be at the back afterwards. You can come and sign. Can those that got the pieces of paper bring them to the back so that we can... I don't want to miss out on any of you guys and your prayers. But why don't you, why don't you shut your eyes right now? And uh, this, to me, is the most crucial part of our time together. Why don't you shut your eyes and press in? And we're inviting you, Lord Jesus to meet with us in a very tangible, real way by your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And C.S. Lewis says, God gives where he finds empty hands. So why don't you lift your hands, open the palms of your hands right now, and, and, and be open to God. It's, you know, body language says a lot. So if we've got our arms folded, you know, whatever, you're not going to meet with God. But, but if you, this is, Lord, my hands being open right now, it's a sign of submission, of vulnerability, and many of us in Surrey, you know, if God gives where he finds empty hands, our challenge is that our hands are just stuffed full. And Lord, in recognizing that this evening, help us to simplify, help us to be very intentional in terms of what we need to get rid of, keeping the good stuff. But some good stuff is bad stuff because it becomes idolatry and blocks our view of you. So Lord, you see us right now. We're doing this because we're hungry, because we want to meet with you. Lord, I want to confess on a number of levels, Lord, my, my disobedience when I should be walking in obedience. My insistence on clarity when you're calling me to trust. My cynical attitudes. Lord, help me to bin the cynicism, to nip it in the bud, and just to act, to get my hands dirty, to choose to stay embracing compassion rather than just short-lived pity. Lord, forgive me for the apathy in my life. And this, this evening, I want to embrace urgency. Forgive my grumpiness, my groaning, my complaining. Lord, help us to live lives of gratitude, infectious, attractive gratitude. Grateful people are happy people. Lord, where I've been shackled by fear, this evening I choose faith. And I choose the way of the cross over the way of comfort. And I know I can only do this, Lord God, because it's about relationship and not rules. I've already got an A. Hear that, people. You've got an A. And so, Lord, help us to choose life. What's it going to be? Lord, speak to us to the depth of our being. Lord, we give you the bad stuff in our past, the shame, the filth, the darkness, the anger, the hurt, the depression, the anxiety, the fear. We give you all that stuff. We give you the, the good stuff, our longings, dreams, aspirations, ambitions. We give you our family, our friends, our job or lack of job, our money or lack of money, our, our health or lack of health, Lord, we just lay it all down. We say, have your way in our lives. We want to be your hands and your feet. Keep pressing in. I think tonight's an opportunity for some major decisions to, to be made, some, some strongholds to be broken. There'll be more chance to be prayed for at the front, but uh, right now, let's just very gently move into a time of, of sung worship. Keep pressing in. The Spirit wants to do a deep work. For some of us, it's tweaking. For some of us, it's complete transformation. Lord, we submit it to you. Keep speaking to us. May we leave changed. Thank you, Jesus.